0: Hey, everyone. I'm Yasmin Nori, and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. I've recently started a new business called BIA that helps women tackle their period problems and hormonal imbalances using a natural whole foods approach. If you're suffering from bad cramps, irregular period, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Caroline Childers, to our show today. Caroline is the CEO and co-founder of Chief, a revolutionary private membership network designed to uplift, empower, and connect women executives. Chief has since achieved unicorn status, holding members in over seven. of Fortune 100 companies with a $1.1 billion valuation. Although Caroline never originally set out to become an entrepreneur, her journey from investment banking to strategic and business development positions at companies like Victoria Secrets, Avon Products, and eventually her role as SVP of operations at Handy led her to see a problem that she wanted to solve, which was all around supporting women executives. This led her to team up with her co-founder, Lindsay, and together they were committed to building a private platform with community groups, member meetups, flagship clubhouse access, and most importantly, a powerful, vetted community of women. It's said best by Carolyn herself. It gets lonely at the top, but for women, it gets lonely a lot earlier. Today, Chief holds a wait list of tens of thousands of women and continues to empower women at all stages through its educational blog, podcast, and annual impact fund for female focused causes. It's clear investing in women definitely pays off. In our episode, Caroline shares her unique journey to entrepreneurship, how she evaluated the risk when leaving her stable job that she was doing very well in, as well as the biggest myths we may all have around starting a business. She also shares how she built momentum early in the business, how she dealt with rejections from investors, and her laser focus on community and building the best experience for her members. Caroline also provides her insights on finding co-founders, what are certain things to consider when doing so, how she tackled perfectionism, her biggest lessons, how she got over imposter syndrome, and so much more. Welcome to the show, Caroline.
1: I was very excited to do this. And as we were talking about before, I think we have very aligned missions. And so I was very excited for this conversation.
0: Well, I'm going to go ahead and jump into it. But before we go into your story you said something that really stood out. You actually said in another interview that you never thought that you would be an entrepreneur. And I know, listen, I've done, gosh, over 150 interviews with women with all different backgrounds. And you still kind of hear the story of, you know, I was that kid that had a lemonade stand. I had businesses. I mean, that was me as a child. But, you know, from probably what you've now learned, there's so many traits that go into being a good founder and an entrepreneur. So I'm curious, you know, now that you're in the seat, you never thought you'd start a business. You're completely excelling in everything that you're doing now as a founder, what do you think are maybe some of the biggest myths that women have when it comes to entrepreneurship?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely the one that you referenced right out of the gate, which is, um, that it had to be that there's like an innate gene or, you know, this thing that you knew from the very beginning. And you hear that so often when you have interviews with entrepreneurs where it's like the lemonade stand, the paper route, the I was buying something at a, you know, convenience store and then selling it for more at school. Um, and I think for me, I actually had a very different exposure to entrepreneurship. My grandparents actually owned a travel agency Um If you know what has happened in the travel industry over the period of time, you can imagine it was a tough road as more things went online. And so it was actually as I was seeing like a family business, just the, you know, how hard that is and the pressure that comes with that. And um, that I actually, as I was growing up, was like, oh, you know, I'm going in the like stable, big corporate. That's the way that I'm going to go in my career. Um, But I think. Even just having those exposures um, and the exposure to the hard work that it takes and the understanding of that and the discipline that comes with some of that and the belief in building something great um, was still instilled in me, even if it wasn't like the thing that I personally grabbed onto as a, as a first um, part of my career and I think there's also a like it's never too late fallacy that um, I would want to just like put out there of like entrepreneurship is for the like young tech bros um, and that there's so many entrepreneurs that do that actually find their way into entrepreneurship much later in their career and in many ways I think that sets you up for success to a even greater degree of, of having seen what works and doesn't work and having navigated your own leadership journey. And I often look back on, and I'm sure we'll go into many parts of it, but I look back and I'm like, should I have started earlier? Should I have like, there are moments where I could have gone into entrepreneurship at an earlier stage. And I don't know, I just look at where I am right now and think like everything happens for its reason. And now is the right time because it's the time.
0: I love that. And I think about that a lot. I know I've always wanted to start a business. And similar to you, I kind of went down that corporate route, investment banking. And I know you did too, which we'll get into. And I always like, God, I am I too old to start a business? I'm like, by the time I'm 30, I want to start something. I had all these false narratives. And now that I'm kind of in it, I'm like, God, what a blessing it was to work in so many different industries and make the connections. And same with my co-founder, she's built her own relationships and everything through her career. And I think to your point, just living in it, it definitely helps build that foundation a little bit stronger, and the maturity there, and the connections that you have, and the people you can lean on. Even though you might not think it makes sense, because I was in such different industries, but it all it all kind of comes together. So if you're not if you're listening right now and you're like, I want to start something in a completely different industry, I promise you, it will only help you in whatever you decide when that time is. Um, but I love that because it's definitely never too late. And you know, the biggest goal in this podcast is to showcase stories like yours. And also, you know, there's people that have been on here who restarted their life at 50, 60. Right. And it's like, how do we focus on just making the right decision for you at the time and doubling down on like joy and fulfillment? But I want to talk about, you know, the early career that you had. So, you know, very similar to you growing up in an entrepreneurial family, you're like, God, I just wanted that stability. And like, how can I just financially support myself without any ups and downs? And I know you ended up being in investment banking also at Deutsche Bank. And what I find really interesting about your journey is you were there for a few years, but then you actually pivoted from on, from investment banking and then you ended up doing more operational roles at companies. You know, I ended up staying in finance way too long, but tell me more, like what was the impetus for you to be like, all right, you know, I did my finance thing and I think I want a different kind of experience now. Yeah. I think there's a real lack
1: of a clear career path that I had, pretty sure every single job that I took was like a lower paycheck, <laughs> lower yes. compensation. Like I, I went to like what I just found more passion to, or passion of, um, and in some ways it was just what I was next exposed to that I had passion for, rather than having a very clear idea of you know who I was, what I wanted what timeline I was really operating on. I had, I first started in investment banking only because I did finance as a major and I was like, this is the right career path, <laughs> I guess. Um, I still remember going to New York City for like the final round interviews for investment banking and literally being in my sister's apartment with like one of her friends who was in investment banking being like, so what is investment banking? Yeah. So that- I- <laughs> Knew as I was going into this interview, it was not, you know, it was a, I just saw it as a path that would open up a lot of doors. I didn't really know what it was. And the thing that I found really interesting as I was there, like I actually really loved working with companies and getting really deep into their business models and what made them successful versus other businesses and looking at that. The financial markets, zero interest to me, but like actually understanding the root of the business. Um, And so as I was thinking about like what was next, you could go the hedge fund route or the private equity route. And I was like, no, I really think I will be really curious to be a part of a company and, and go and really go deeper into the strategy of one individual company. I went into corporate and I went into roles that were very like strategy, business development. So still not like operating the company still, you know, like services, but within an organization and it wasn't until I came out of business school that I could read that I really made that pivot into like operating and owning a PNL and doing all of those things, which was also just kind of fortuitous because one of my very good friends from business school went to Quitsy right after business school. Um, at the time, it was just diapers. Um, they were about to launch Soap. He gave me a call and I went and met with um, Mark Laurie and Vinny and again, was like, what is this startup thing? I don't really know if this is what I would want to do. You know, there's the stability of the big, big, big company, but I'll go. Um, And honestly, I don't know many people who can have a conversation with Mark Laurie and not just become like passionate about what he's building. Um, And so I made the move over to startups and have never looked back. Like it is, um, that was the moment where I was like, okay, whether I start something or not, like the amount of impact that you can have at a company in its early days and like the foundation setting and the like true business building was just something I was so much more passionate about than late stage where you can tweak but you know so much of it is already established and I just fell in love with that um and over time, as I spent more time in startups, was like maybe I can do this too. Uh, maybe I should do this, um, and really started to build up that desire to be an entrepreneur myself.
0: I love that. Gosh, there's so many things that stand out, and you know, one of them before even going into startups, like you leaving that corporate finance route to even joining a company that pays less like that's already a monumental move because I've been in those atmospheres and it's like all right you either become an associate in banking or you leave like you said private equity and hedge fund so I just appreciate you really listening to your own intuition of what you wanted to do next and doing it despite not making money and I think a lot of people you know too much on, Oh God, I can't take like a pay, like a pay cut. And honestly, I mean, similar to you, I consistently made pay cuts. I joke that the older I was getting, the more less money I was making, but the happier I was. And it just shows like those experiences that you're building among people that you like, or a manager that you like, or a company you like, like those are invaluable. And you're taking that over now to chief and which is a big reason, you know, why you guys have been so successful so early on. So I just love that point, And I wanted to underscore it. And also you, you know, sometimes we don't know what we don't know. And similar to you, like it wasn't until I worked at a real startup that I was like, oh, this is interesting. And like you, like it slowly gives you the confidence that you could do it. So if someone's listening right now and they think it's like far-fetched idea, I always tell people like go work for someone you admire or a company you admire and just learn like, what does it look like to be super scrappy and build something from nothing? Because when you come from these bigger companies, you actually have no idea what that's like. And I've been there. I no idea. So I love that on your journey, you found that really, um, imperative to starting your own business. So very, very cool. And definitely being I'm- at a
1: startup, you like look around, you're like, Oh wait, no, I could I can do this yeah. too.
0: Like <laughs> yes. there's no, you
1: know, um, malice towards like other, you know, leaders of those businesses. But like when you're in it, you're like, okay, I see what this is. I can do this. Like it just like allows you to see it in a new way.
0: Yeah. I love that because I think we think everybody, like the founders have it all figured out. They're, you know, when you go in there and you're like, oh, wow, they're asking me, like nobody knows what they're doing. Right. And it's interesting, you know, obviously now you've been in business for quite long, but like, you being a founder of this business, do you think people are looking at you and your co-founder and feeling that way? Like, how are you feeling um, as you guys are growing and experiencing like new phases of the business, which I'm sure you're not even aware of. I hope so.
1: I hope people are looking at me and saying like, Oh, if she can do it. I can do it too. Um, because I, um, I think one of the things that was really interesting from Quidzy is how many people went and started a business. Um, and I give like such credit to the culture of that company that People learned a ton um, that they saw what was possible, that they were um, encouraged and given the right, um, you know, accolades and support, that they believed that they could go and do it. And I think that is, you know, the type of environment and the type of culture that I really hope we build at Chief. Um, and obviously, I would love our team to stay at Chief as long as possible and many, many years. And I think we have people who have been with us for the entirety of it. But I would also be incredibly proud if there's a number of people that left and um, went and started their businesses. And um, I hope I work for them someday, maybe even.
0: (laughs) No, I love it. I'm sure there's people in my company that are like, oh, I could do what Yazid's doing, you know. Um, But it is interesting because, you know, we're obviously all growing. And even if you hit a different milestone in the business, it kind of pushes you to be at a whole other stage. You know, what do you think really differentiates Successful companies. I actually think about this a lot. And meaning, obviously, you know, not many businesses succeed. And that's what I think me and you want to change, especially with women, is like provide the mentorship, the guidance, because with the right ecosystem, I really believe like you can build a a sustainable business and a profitable business. But what do you think really differentiates those that maybe start a business and, you know, it might not work versus those that are kind of in it for the long game and are building like, real sustainable companies
1: first and foremost i think that you can have an amazing founder amazing leaders you know amazing team and the business could still not succeed so like at the very base i think there has to be you know a very clear why should this business exist what is that market what is that need what is that product market fit and i do think that you know there are some businesses that uh Particularly, I think like the real, the real struggle of that is sometimes like there could be a need for that business, but is it a business that should be VC backed? Or is that a business that should be like really just like acknowledging what is the type of business that I want to build? What is its right role within the ecosystem? Um, all of those things I think are are incredibly important no matter how amazing a founder is. And I think you see some founders who like start something and it's amazing and then other times they've started something and it doesn't work out as well. And I think a huge part of that is really doing the diligence on like the business itself. I do think that from there, team is everything. A founder um, can bring it so far, but very quickly a founder becomes like, really about how do you build your team and how do you enable your team and how do you um, make sure that uh, everybody's aligned to the same place and the same goal and the same mission. And I think that gets harder and harder as you get bigger. Um, But uh, to me, there's the joke all the time about like, what is the role of a CEO? And the only thing that you really focused on is like mission, (laughs) team and money, (laughs) and making sure you have cash, like that's your role. Um, And I think that team, by far, trumps all of it.
0: Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. In 2020, I was struggling with some debilitating health stuff. I just got off birth control and suddenly I had acne, mood swings, breast tenderness, and really painful periods. I tried so many things, but the one thing that worked was something called seed cycling. I know you're probably thinking seed cycling. What the heck is that? It's a natural way to support your hormones using four specific seeds throughout your cycle. The challenge is that seed cycling can be a little complicated to do and kind of time consuming. So I decided to make an organic seed cycling product that is so easy to use. We make it effortless. List for anyone to get started today, it's called BIA and it's a super easy way to add something powerful to your diet to support your hormones, regulate your cycle, and bring back balance. To learn more about BIA and join our community with thousands of incredible women all over the world, go to BIAWellness.com and that's spelled B E E Y A Wellness.com and check out the show notes for our promo code to get ten dollars off your first purchase. Thanks so much for listening, and now let's get back to today's episode. Appreciate You bringing up how, you know, really understanding what problem you're solving and how you're building the business. And you mentioned like, if you go down the VC route, obviously the expectations are quite quick and it's tough to grow that, that fast, especially so early on when you're trying to figure out like product market fit messaging versus like maybe self-funding it or going down a different route. So I think all these questions are important to talk about. And that's why these conversations are important because you're kind of hearing what people do. So hopefully you're reflecting and you're, you're asking the right questions before you kind of go all in. But let me take a step back. I know right before Chief, you were running kind of operations at Handy. When did you think that, you know, I'm kind of missing this community? And when did the idea of Chief kind of percolate within you?
1: So I think for me, I have been a horrible networker. I am a great worker, like networker within the companies that I'm in, but I've never really gone and I'm horrible at asking for help, <laughs> so like I haven't gone out and made connections external. And at some point, I kind of picked up my head and was like, "Ah, oh, I really like would love to have a, a real ecosystem for me to become a better leader, for me to figure out what I want to do next, for all of these things." And I remember talking to a friend who mentioned YPO, which is Young Presidents Organization. It is only for CEOs and presidents. And my friend was a guy and was like, this is its an amazing community. It has helped me so much. And I started to just do some research on, on them as an organization and was just kind of fascinated by the business model. But because it's for CEOs and presidents, it was so skewed towards um. Men being, you know, the the primary demographic that is a part of that. And I thought, like, wouldn't it be great to have an organization that really focused on driving and supporting people who are underrepresented in leadership um, and really focusing in on, on women and supporting them and really trying to change the face of leadership by Um, building that same type of community, but for senior executive women. And what was very interesting to me is that in addition to it being just a mission, like a personal need tied to a mission that I would really care deeply about, it also had the opportunity to be a huge business. Um, If you think about VP level and above women, there's over 5 million of them in the US alone. Um, And so it could be a great, I just feel privileged every day to be able to work on a business that has both a like mission that I think is so important and needed that can also be a really big and powerful business. And we are ultimately in a capitalist society and like the ability for both of those things to come together felt really powerful to me.
0: I just have goosebumps because I'm, I just look at you and I'm just so inspired because I think you can make a massive business and still have an incredible mission. And it's such a beautiful, um, marriage between the two. So what a gift to kind of have this idea and it really take off. So I love that. I've actually heard similar things with YPO and even having women founders right now being like, I tried it. It's not really the right fit for me. Let me try another chapter. And I've heard those struggles. So I can see the need really, really being there. So you're clearly doing well at handy. You know, you're running the PNL there. You have this idea that really stands out to you. What were those next steps in terms of, really executing the, the idea, right? Because so many of us have these ideas every day. We're like, gosh, there could be a better way to do this and that. So how did you know, like, this, there's actually some legs in here? And let me kind of take that next step. And what did that next step look like?
1: Yeah, I honestly think that this was one of the hardest moments on the entrepreneurial journey. Um, the number of people who I... You know, there were a few things that were important to me if, if I was really going to do it. I just had to tell as many people as possible because there was some type of like, I can't go back on it now. I told people I was doing this. Um, I felt like I had to go all in. I couldn't, you know, I think there's some people who can do it as as like a side project until it gets to a certain amount of traction. I am a all or nothing person. It's just who I have been my entire life. Um, and so, uh, it was really important for me to say like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go and do it. Um, and the number of people in those early days—I remember even just one of the first conversations I had with a VC um, that I knew. Who she literally said to me, "Like this is a waste of your talent," <laughs> and that was like the the first one of the first conversations that I had. And I even was trying to get lawyers to start to represent me to like start to get the um, business established. And even lawyers were saying like, I don't think this is a VC backable business. So I don't know that I'm the right lawyer for you. And it's like, I can't even get somebody that I'm paying, let alone raising money from venture capital who should be giving me money. Um, so it was a really hard early day days of it. And it was definitely, I first started to think about this um, Uh, I, so I was a little bit of like the solo entrepreneur for a bit of time. And it was like a hard time um, thinking through it. And that kind of triggered for me, like, I really want to make sure that I go on uh, this journey with somebody, I think we're ultimately building a community business, I think it's important to build community from day one and having a co founder so that it does have a collective of ideas. Um, And as I thought on that, Uh, I immediately went to a place of, well, unfortunately, if you think about a women's professional network, it can often feel very corporate and stodgy. And so for me, I've really wanted a co-founder that could help build a brand that like, just really was different um, and what so many of our members deserve and something to be proud of and aspirational. And Um, I had known Lindsay for um, a few years. We had met at like various like women's networking events um, and we had never worked together. Um, But I, um, you know, she had worked at Casper. Um, If you think about what they were able to do from a brand perspective, I was just really excited about her. And, um, you know, we had spent a lot of time together, knew that our values were very aligned, that we decided to go on the journey together.
0: Oh my gosh, incredible. And I have two questions there, but the first one, taking that leap and going all in is probably one of the hardest things. And I think a lot of people listening might even feel that and haven't really done that leap. So how did you get comfortable with that risk? Like, for example, for me, I'm similar to you in terms of, When I go into anything, it's like, unfortunately, 150, 200%. So it's been very hard for me to do both. And I've never really had jobs that allowed me any flexibility. It was always working a ton. So that was important for me. And also financially, I felt comfortable because I kind of have saved money. And I knew I can kind of take a risk for X amount of months. So I'm curious for you. Did you kind of have a financial game plan for yourself? Because I'm sure it was tough when people are telling you, you're crazy, Carolyn. Like, why are you doing this? You can't even get a lawyer. Like, how did you kind of get comfortable with that risk and taking that leap?
1: Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I think the thing that scared me the most was ending up in a place where for a long period of time, you were just kind of in this, like, is it something? Is it not something? Like, there's just enough there that you feel like you have to keep going. And it's why I was like, I'm just going all in because I don't want to be like somewhat like, is it because I'm not spending every all of my time there? Is it because we haven't done this and just playing in the gray? Um, and I, it was really important to me to just go all in, go hard at it. Um, and it's why we wanted to you know raise capital so that we could do launch it in a big way um, so that we knew if it was something or not something. Um, and I felt, and I do feel fortunate that, you know, i if, if it didn't work out, I, I knew that there would be other startups that I could always join as an executive. And it never felt like there, were, I was closing a door behind me, um, that the, the risk to me was it taking too long to either succeed or fail, um, rather than it failing, um, and so I wanted to just go all in, so that I could learn that really quickly, one way or the other, and um, not be in a place where it was a long period of time of just like kind of in, kind of out, not sure. I wasn't optimizing for. I wasn't optimizing for not losing or not winning. I was optimizing for not not knowing.
0: <laughs> I love that. I love that so much, Carolyn. And I think that also when you go all in and you you know, make that calculated decision. There's a fire under you. That's like, I told everybody I'm doing this thing and everybody thinks I'm crazy, but I really want to prove this might not be healthy, but for me, it was like, I want to prove to them that I can create something. And I think sometimes we kind of get nervous and don't have the confidence that you can do that. But I love that, you know, even like if you can spend a hundred percent of your time on something it will become something. And like you said, like you wanted to know, will it work or will it not work? And that's the biggest gift too. So I think what you said is very powerful. And now going back to your co-founder journey, you know, it's also interesting because I get a lot of women that reach out to me and they're like, gosh, like I'm doing this on my own. I would love a co-founder. I love that you kind of found somebody who had a different skill set than you to kind of accompany you on that. What were some of the things that maybe you and your co-founder talked about to really make sure you're on the right path. And because I think it's such a important union, right? It's basically like a marriage. Um, and it only becomes even more important, I'm sure even as you scale. But maybe if you can share with our audience, some of those conversations and maybe things that you talked about and make sure you are on that same page.
1: Yeah. Um, there are there are a number of people who have like co-founder like prenups, like templates of it that are out there that I'm sure people can find. I didn't use one of those, but I, it's an interesting thing to think about of like, how do you make sure that you have the conversations up front of like the things that could go wrong um, and make sure that you talk them out. Um, And so it's everything from like really clear, what do you own? What do I own? Um, What, um, what do you want the outcome of this to be? Like, how long do you think, you know, you know, and how would you make those trade-offs if we find ourselves at this stage and, um, doing this or doing that, like, what would you want to do personally? What would you want to do financially? What would you want to do with the company? And just making sure you're really aligned on all of that. I think that the one thing that we didn't do candidly, um, we didn't really go really deep into our like respective ways of working um and so what's interesting is like i think everybody should find a co-founder who has very different skills than than you do like you're when you are that small <laughs> you need to have like very skilled sets. Cause like, if you are both the exact same person and like, you're just, you know, one plus one does not equal four, yeah. it equals one. Yeah, <laughs> um, <literally> one. <laughs> so it, it was really important for me to have different skill sets. And I don't think that we really recognize what that would mean in terms of our ways of working. Um, you know, she's a much more creative person. She likes to think out loud. She likes to have those conversations. Um, and I'm somebody who actually very much, you know likes to work through things in my mind a little bit first um and so I can be quieter in those conversations I'm not as much of the like uh, real time banter on that um and I remember at some point um we I set up a session for us where I was like okay if I could ask you of one thing like go away for the weekend and like come back and say like what's the one thing you would ask of me and what's the one thing that I would ask of you um, and this will say everything about like the differences of Lindsay and I and our ways of working, but we came back and I was like, okay, the one thing I need from you is I really need to know at the end of things, like, what are you taking? What am I taking? And like committing to, to those things. Cause we were overlapping a little bit too much. So it was incredibly operational and like efficient and like, what are we doing? Blah, blah, blah. And her answer was, I just need to know you're my friend. <laughs> totally different answers. And I think, That what I would offer with that in some ways is just making, continuing to make the space, even after you have become co-founders, like continuing to make the space to have conversations like that of like, what do you need from me? What do I need from you? And some of that's going to like recalibrate over time too, especially as you bring on more team and different things, different people are owning different things. Just spending the time with each other, I think is incredibly important.
0: Gosh, that's so interesting. Definitely would catch me off guard with her coming back and being like, oh, I just want a friend. And was it that she just wanted to really build that relationship with you because you guys are still really getting to know each other at this more intimate level? Yeah, I think so.
1: I think it actually, if I were to read into it, I actually think it's more about like, I just want to know that like, you trust me, and that like, we're in this together. Um, and there was something about just having like a deeper relationship that was important that you know we hadn't tested yet as co-founders of like what does happen in moments where trust is needed and how do each of us show up in that moment? You get them really quickly now at yeah, this point yeah. we know, we know um, but we didn't in the very very early days.
0: Yeah, and I love that you're bringing up all these types of topics and conversations because. It could feel a little uncomfortable, you know, like even going back to those initial questions, like what's the ownership, what's the roles, like how, what's your working style? Like, it sounds simple, but I think so much of entrepreneurship and you learn this very fast by doing is like it's all uncomfortable conversations, I feel like, you know, to get really get anything done. And you want to make sure you have that before the business kind of takes off to make sure you're on the right foundation. So I appreciate you kind of sharing the way you guys approached it and, you know, the area that maybe you didn't really focus on, but you eventually did um, as well. And, you know, I'm I'm also curious about, you said, you know, VCs weren't backing you. You went into this wanting to start a business, raise money, but when did you, how did you really think about building the early momentum, were you thinking, for example, like, all right, we're not getting any VC money. So me and Lindsay need to really build and prove the concept before we go back out. Or how did you really think about that time period?
1: Yeah. Um, we did end up getting VC money. Um, so, and it was actually pretty important to me, I think in order to break through and show and, and build a brand that we, that we wanted in order for it to break through, Um, I think it would have been really hard to bootstrap candidly. Um, and so we were fortunate that at the end of the day, we were able to raise a seed round that allowed us to uh, make those investments as we went and launched Chief. Um, and so, but there was still definitely a, how much should you put in upfront, um, when it hasn't been proven yet, um, How do you think about the capital allocation of like, it's not like we, it's not like some of the seed rounds that you saw, you know, in in recent years, maybe not today, but, you know, (laughs) a few years ago, um, it was, you know, a a small seed round that uh, that we were definitely trying to figure out what are the most important things for us to invest in and how do we think about that investment? Um, And it was really important for us to make sure that, we were breaking through um and so we really invested in the experience of it and we're like didn't put a lot of money into marketing of it um so all of our initial investment was you know we built out a space we had like big first events we really invested in making sure we we're bringing on amazing executive coaches that were helping to run some of our programs And so for us, that was like, it was really important that the money go into the experience. Um, And I think too often people spend a ton of money on like the marketing of it. And I think for me, if you're having to spend so much in marketing, like the, the best businesses are driven off of like, organic and word of mouth and like the experience helps drive it and that's the dynamic that I really wanted to make sure we were building into Um, and that was very much the case for us in the early days of Chief it was very much word of mouth Um, we did some outbound um, as well but a huge uh, most of it was all from inbound um, coming coming to us as as people um, heard about the concept and I think that is a huge part of why we were able to kind of make the investments that we were able to make in the
0: experience. I love that. And I think you mentioned something really important because some people automatically assume, all right, right, we're, we're we've launched, we're going to stop now just market. We need people in. But then similar to you, I'm like, but that doesn't actually logically make sense for me because you want to make sure your product or your service is so good that if I'm spending money on people, I want them to stay. I don't want them to come in while we're still figuring things out. And then it drops off and then you're literally not you know, successful. You're not profitable. So I love that you double down on experience and you're like, I'm good. We want to make this such an incredible you know, service that people are talking about it. It, It's so interesting because you hear that a lot with companies and, you know, like word of mouth was so big and it seemed like such a far-fetched idea for me. But now that I'm two years in the business, I'm beginning to see that momentum myself. But did you really push for word of mouth in any way in terms of, any type of like programs or is it truly organic? Like what you guys were building was so unique and so amazing. It just kind of became like wildfire. I think
1: there were things that we did to nudge it over time based off of what we saw. So I I think what was interesting for us is really quickly as as people were joining, they started to put it on their LinkedIn and they started to announce that they had become members of Chief which was something that we were like, Oh, that's interesting. Like, are there things that we can do to like, can we give them an asset after they join so that they, you know, post that as they announce that they joined on LinkedIn. Um, but it all kind of fueled off of what people were naturally doing and what we were seeing and being able to say like, Oh, that's great. How can we amplify that a little bit? Um, so uh but it was, it was really amazing to us to just see how much people were just had such pride. Um, and, um, that was really what was driving so much of the word of mouth.
0: That's amazing. And I love what you're saying. You're kind of like, observing what's going on in your business and doubling down fast. Like I feel like that is a skill set for at least startups. It's like you see something kind of taking off with your community. You're like, oh God, that would be really interesting. If for example, we have a badge or something and you move quickly. Because I think sometimes before you start a business, you're like trying to figure out all the answers, but so much of it comes from your community and really listening and really sitting down and being like, okay, there's an opportunity right there. Like what could we do? So I just share that because even for us, I, I always had this pressure on myself of, okay, like what's the right next step. And so much of just how we've grown is just in front of you. And you just got to be observant and be like, oh, that's so interesting. Someone's talking about that. Like, what can we do there? So it kind of gives me ease. And I love to see that that was huge for you. And I believe in another interview, you mentioned that there was an investor you were pitching to. And I think at the time you had like five services or five things that you wanted to do. And they said, you know, you should really focus on one service. I don't know if that resonates, but I'd love to kind of hear that because obviously you guys really grew so quickly. Um, but what kind of like, how did you really pivot your strategy and idea of chief?
1: Yeah. Um, we actually didn't take that advice. Um, we, so we had this meeting (laughs) and, um, he was also an investor in a, you know, direct to consumer, um, well-known brand. Um, and, uh, he was basically giving the example of like this company only has to do this one product and sell it. And it's still incredibly hard. And you're trying to do multiple um, because it was a community that's really about like, how do you support leaders? And it is a belief of mine that, you know, just one product is it's going to be really hard to like fully support the need. And so We had a hero product of our core groups, which is, you know, that peer coaching, but we also had physical spaces of a clubhouse. We had events and programming that we were running and we have a digital community for people to be able to tap into no matter where they are. Right. So um, you do have all of those that you are trying to pull together into a place of like, it's the totality of that, that I think makes the, makes it really powerful. But It really resonated with us, and it still does, of like, how do you then make sure that um, it's clear to the team what's important and how you make trade-offs and where we need to invest when you have so many different products that that are running at the same time? And even for our members, I think when you have multiple, it then becomes, well, what about... Board placement services, which is something we don't do, but like, shouldn't you be doing that? And so, it it actually is is still tricky for us as a as a company. And I think one of the most interesting but hardest things about Chief, given what our mission is, is that you know, there's no so many riches of opportunity of what we can go and do. And it's really like, how do you prioritize that? How do you say like, what is what is true and most important for your mission and your vision of the best way for that mission? mission to come forward. Um, And so I often reference that conversation, not because we ourselves like honed in on just one thing, because I do think in order for this community to be as rich as it is, that there needs to be multiple ways for the community to come together. Um, But it still is a really important message of how important focus is.
0: And I love that. And I'm glad you corrected me because- you can hear so many people's advice and sometimes they're not in the business. They don't really understand the problem. And I think really trusting yourself, like you know, I mean, even me, like the services that are needed to support women in the corporate space, in the VP and leadership levels, like it's endless, right? So I think you guys being thoughtful about the few things that you're going to launch with and also prioritizing it as you grow, because yeah, you're right. There's so much, like it's endless of the opportunity that you guys have to support women. How do you prioritize what's important? I mean, I think that's a really important question for all businesses. Cause I do see some people out the gate doing way too many things, you know, where the focus isn't there. You guys are doing many things, but the focus is all under one of the umbrellas and it makes sense, right? It looks very cohesive, so how do you really prioritize like what's next in the business?
1: Well, I think it goes back to what you were even talking about, which is like follow the community and you will see very much, you know, you could introduce something as a test. And do people use it? Or do they not use it? Um, and which of the services are the ones that people are um most gravitating to and really using and some of that can be driven off of like which ones are you messaging most and and which ones are you pushing during during different periods of time but the community will really tell you what's valuable Um, because I often joke that like our biggest competitor is time um, where you know this is like the movie trope of the busy woman and so a huge one of our company values is actually time travel which is both at the meta level like It's going to take over 200 years before we get to equal representation of leadership how it actually, and and wanting to time travel to that place, but how it actually shows up every day is how do we allow her to time travel? How do we make it easy for her to get the value that she needs out of this? Um, And if it's not a valuable service, then that's not time travel. We shouldn't be pushing it. Um, That's not where we should focus and and
0: prioritize. I love that. And I love that you said just testing things because sometimes we're like trying to figure out what the answer is. And it's like, just test something, see if it works. And, you know, sometimes it's crickets and you're like, all right, good thing we didn't spend more time and effort on that. So I love you talking about that. You know, there's actually one thing that you mentioned um, when I was prepping for this interview that really resonated with me is the pressure you experience as an entrepreneur really varies from working for someone else. And it's all—it's fascinating because I see myself in this way of, wow, I used to work such crazy hours in banking and I had nuts hours with other startups. Like, why is this pressure with my business different? And i have I've kind of seen myself having to do different things to make sure my like Mental health is in a good place. So it's fascinating because I thought I was dealing with a lot of pressure, but this new world that I'm in, is it's a completely different perspective on pressure. And I just heard you talking about it. And I'd love to maybe hear how you think about it and how you kind of worked through it because you know there's nothing that really prepares you for starting a business, truly, obviously working for other people helps, but until you really do it. So I'd love to kind of hear how you've worked through it. Um, I remember
1: actually sending a note to some of the founders that I worked with in the past. As I started this, I was like, oh, I'm so sorry that I was ever a pain in your butt because this is hard. Yes,
0: <laughs> yes, right? You have so much respect now. Like you look back at all those co- meetings you had and I'm like, God, I was so annoying. Like I didn't understand. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, for sure, for sure. I um you don't even realize the trade-offs that people are making on a day-to-day and and the pressure. I, honestly like one of the hard it, it again, like some of the hardest moments were in the very beginning where there was this feeling of I had I, I had had success in my career will all that go away if I go and start this and it fails? Because all of that other success can somewhat be attributed to potentially other people. Of Like you were just in the right place where success was happening and yes, you were a good performer, but like, is that really your success? Um, and that just adds like a total different mental pressure, but it really amplified for me when like the very first employee's decided to come and join chief. And like, there's just something about like the trust of like coming and working for somebody with a business that is still incredibly unknown in many ways, their livelihood. And that's a little extreme, but like their livelihood is in your hands of like being a a good leader. And this is the right thing for them to be dedicating their time for. And I don't know, team for me is everything that like, that's when the pressure really started to like amplify for me of okay, this isn't just like me that could fail, but it is like this team that I don't want to fail.
0: And gosh, that resonates so much. And I love how you said, you know, outside of literally, I mean, I think it is a livelihood, like you're paying someone, you know, that's how they're supporting their life. It's, it's definitely a lot of pressure and we're, we're so small. It's only like four to five people, but I can't imagine at the level you're at, I guess you build that muscle of, you know, having a bigger team, but you know, you said something interesting. Of I put a lot of pressure on myself too of like, is my team aligned on the right things that moves the business? And I think about that a lot because sometimes, you know, you don't really know and you're kind of making bets. Kind of like what you said earlier about capital allocation. Like, do we want to spend this amount on this avenue? You know, with team, you're like, okay, we've hired this person. Are they working on the right things? Like, how did you deal with that pressure? If that, if that question makes sense? I think that has
1: really had to morph and change for me. So we were all New York city based. We're now a completely like remote and distributed team. And it's actually really important to me. I know so many companies are starting to go back to in person, but you see all the time, like the people who are most disadvantaged with coming back in person are often women and underrepresented minorities. Like they're not the the group that is able to come back into the office. So There's a real need, I think, into in investing and showing like remote work can work. Um, And there's huge advantages in it, um, in the access to talent and all of those things. But it makes the element of how do you make sure that you are strategically aligned really hard because like the water cooler moments of just like, hey, what are you doing? What are you working on and checking in on these things and like just being able to see things can actually give you like a pulse of what's happening. Um, And so it becomes really important for you to put in place those right systems of like, how are we connecting as a team? How are we aligning as a team? How are we having check-ins on on what that looks like while not getting to a place where you're so over-meetinged that like the work can't actually get done. Um, And so what are those like incredibly important touch points and async communication systems and, and all of that. And I think for me, the the mantra that I just always have in my head is like, the bigger you get, the higher the frequency of communication and the lower of complexity, or said another way, higher simplicity of communication. And just making sure that you're saying really consistently over and over and over again, These are our most important things. These are the things that we are focused on and making sure that that message is heard so consistently that everybody's saying the same thing.
0: I love that. And one thing you mentioned, you know, the workplace as it is and going in the office is not set up for the woman or underrepresented person to succeed. I mean, even for me, I don't have any kids yet, but a lot of women on our team have kids. And I think about it now that I'm an adult and I understand what goes into having a family and how the involvement of a mom like I mean of course there's a way you can get support to, to have someone you know watch out for your kids while you go in but the flexibility piece is so key for women who have kids and I think about that a lot I'm like gosh how many women are not succeeding and going to be that you know I was in banking so a lot of women would drop off after VP because it was the age where they got promoted they ended up having kids and they're like this is actually really difficult because there's no zero flexibility and the banks were thinking okay what do we need to do to support women you know I don't Know if they've got that figured out, but just even seeing a startup for me, I'm like, gosh, it would be so tough if we were on the office and we had no flexibility. Now I completely understand like why the workplace is not conducive for women excelling. And it doesn't mean that they're not killing it at work. Like these women are amazing, right? I so appreciate everything that you're doing, especially as a company and showing what's possible that you can have this flexibility, this mission-driven business and be an incredible billion-dollar brand, which is amazing. Cause I, I definitely think we need more examples of that Um, there. So that's just me going off my soapbox and something I think about a lot, but yes, women with kids. I mean, you got like, it's really incredible what, like how powerful women are. <laughs>
1: yes, for sure. For sure. And I think, you know, the pandemic really showed what was possible. And it's um, really disappointing that some of the things that I think you could take from that and learn from that are now viewed as just not relevant. Um, At the same time, like, I think that there's an incredible value to in-person and even, and and finding the right times. And like, that is a moment to get like great alignment. um, And like, there's just a right happy medium to be had um, between the two. And um, it's similar to our business model. You know, when we first started, we were a fully in-person experience. Um, And then the pandemic hit and so much of what we did became virtual and digital. And now we're in kind of that third act of, okay, what are the benefits that you could get from that ability to tap into this community really deeply, virtually and digitally, but you still get deeper relationships when you're actually able to come together. And so how do we make sure that we craft that piece of it as well? And I think the same thing that we're going through as a business internally is very much what we need to go through as a business externally.
0: I love that. You're right. I mean, the human, even for me, whenever I'm seeing people, it's like energetically, it feels right, you know, and you get like this different buzz. So having that happy medium between like, what does it look like for you guys to build those experiences, but still have the flexibility. And, you know, I'm kind of going back a little bit, but the early days of chief, you know, I believe it was like two, three months when you launched, you guys did over seven figures. Did you guys ever think that you would be that big so quickly? Like, I'm always curious. Like, did you like, looking back at yourself now did you realize like no I knew this was going to be big like did you have that knowing that it would kind of grow that quickly
1: I think in order for anybody to take the leap and like go and do something you have to believe that it should be big um, and could be big do you have a ton of doubt as you do it though a hundred percent but if you are if you are starting something and like oh you know I'll just get like a few friends together and that like then that that's a Hard way to start a a business, um, particularly if you are going like the VC route, just um, as you know a type of business that you are starting. So yeah, I mean, I I felt very strongly that something like this should exist in the world. I felt very strongly of the value that it could create, um, and that was really important to me as we were starting. Did I expect to have the traction that we did? as early as we did? No, um, I definitely did not. Um, and there was actually a conversation we had as we were doing our series a, we were going out and meeting with a bunch of VCs and we had a slide that had like titles of people who were early members of chief on the slide. And, and there was one VC that was like, okay, so this is just like all your friends, but like, what about the next phase of growth? And Lindsay and I were like, these are like, we, we're, we don't have this type of influential friend network. <laughs> like, I wish I did, but and hopefully I do now. But like, <laughs> um, uh, there was definitely a lot of like skepticism that it was just like us pulling in a bunch of people that we knew. But it wasn't like, I think one of the very first moments that I felt like, okay, this could be something. This can be something really big and and feeling even more certainty of it. Um, I mentioned, you know, early days, there was a lot of word of mouth, but we were also doing some like outbound. Um, And we had sent an outbound email to a C-suite at a fortune 10 company. And she replied back within two hours and paid by four hours. No way. You're like, okay, like that's, that's meaningful. That's really meaningful. Um, And that was the type of thing where you know i think there are so many really amazing organizations that focus on women but so often the the senior executive woman has to be the mentor and has to be the one who is speaking and 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 the reality is like we don't have it figured out either <laughs> we're still trying to figure out how to be good leaders and how to you know drive the business and all of those things and there's a huge need for mentors to have mentors. Um, And you just saw how much that really resonated with people as we were first building this community.
0: Gosh, it is so, so needed. Well, Carolyn, I know we're coming up on time, but I'd love for maybe you to just end on, you know, you've kind of mentioned throughout the interview, what, who chief is for, but if someone's listening, they're like, God, I wonder if this is a right fit for me. Like what kind of women would really benefit from joining your platform?
1: Yeah. So chief is a community focused on senior executive women. Um, and it's really about a community coming together, um, to support each other and build connections to become even better leaders together.
0: I love it. I mean, I'm a big fan. We'll put all the information in our show notes, but I have many, many friends and people I've worked with and colleagues who love Chief. And just going back to LinkedIn, I remember being like, what is this Chief thing that everyone's talking about? They're like, I'm a member. So I love seeing that. And I've truly, I've been a part of many different types of groups and haven't had the best experience but just to see that you guys have really focused on that from the beginning and continue to i know from my network just how much they enjoy it so so proud of everything you've built i can't wait for our, our audience to learn more about you and the mission and the company um, but appreciate you joining us today carolyn
1: thank you this is a lot of fun <laughs>